Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I'm here today with the one and only Dr. Adam Little. He is a uh, he's a veterinarian. He works for a company called GoFetch that's doing really interesting, innovative things with helping keep care affordable. But he's here today talking to me about artificial intelligence because he's about the most artificial intelligence guy that I know, meaning uh, he has he's worked his whole career with artificial intelligence in vet medicine. And we talk about that at the very, very beginning. Anyway, uh, guys, we are talking about AI and specifically chat bots. You'll hear me talking about chat GPT a lot. That is an, uh, an, a, an artificial intelligence chatbot that is free and open to the public. I asked uh, chat GPT before the podcast, I was like, hey, I'm going to do a podcast about you. And, uh, and I am curious how you think that you could change veterinary medicine in the next five years. And ChatGPT came back with six things. Uh, it said increased access to information. So uh, pet owners uh, can be provided with access to information about their pet's health, behavior, and overall care. It said improved communication between veterinarians and pet owners. Uh, this can help bridge the gap in communication between veterinarians and uh, pet owners uh, by providing a platform for them to exchange information, ask questions. Personalized care, ChatGPT can potentially help veterinarians provide personalized care to their patients by analyzing data and tailoring treatment plans to individual pets. Assistance with telemedicine, um, data analysis, ChatGPT can potentially help veterinarians analyze data and identify patterns in pet health and behavior, which can lead to improved diagnosis and treatment options. And then uh, veterinary education, ChatGPT can help veterinarians stay up to date with the latest research and development. So that's how ChatGPT thinks that it might change our profession. Adam Little and I have a lot of other ideas, and that is what we talk about. Guys, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Adam Little. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me. Oh man, always, always my pleasure. Uh, for those who don't know you, I've known you since since you were a vet student, and you you were really interesting to me because you left vet school and then you went sort of straight into industry doing sort of innovative things. You went right to work for LifeLearn, and you were doing a bunch of AI work with them, right? Give yeah. me some color in the lines a little bit about about what that was like. Yeah, for sure. So um, when I started, so um, I, uh, we're actually celebrating our, our ten year anniversary from vet school. So uh, we, I've been taking your anniversary knowing each other, Andy. Uh, it's been great. Uh, but yeah, I started to to work um, with IBM Watson looking to build decision support tools to help veterinarians make kind of more accurate, quicker decisions in practice. And 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 I think, well, that, that project kind of went through its own journey. The, the momentum behind the underlying technologies has never really slowed down. And I think what we're witnessing yeah. now is, is, is the average kind of person and consumer uh, really being exposed to what are some pretty um, magical capabilities and things that would have seen a little bit like science fiction before now really in your in your pockets. And it's leading to some really interesting, I think, opportunities for, for veterinarians and teams. Um, but probably people aren't even scratching the surface of what's already out there. So I think one of the things that we were going to yeah. chat a little bit about today was, you know, what what can I start doing with this stuff today? Um, and, and how can it help me in my, my job and tasks of right now as opposed to you know what does 10 20 30 years look like oh yeah yeah so so you i got really fired up about chat gpt and and some of the ai chat box and stuff that yeah. came out around the first of the year and so uh it was it was back in december 
And I sort of started seeing articles about ChatGPT specifically and AI chatbots. And, yeah. and I started just tinkering around with it. Yeah. And I knew, I came to believe that this is a game changer beyond what most people think. Yeah. When I would go, um, I would go to holiday parties. And uh, so my wife is a college professor. Uh-huh. And so it's exam time and they're all there and they're grading these exams and they're at this liberal arts college and they do a lot of take home exams and things. And they'll do a lot of open book exams. Like my, my wife's in, yeah. the, in the biology department. And so basically the, the challenge has always been, you can use whatever notes you want because we're going to ask you hard questions that require you to synthesize information from a variety of different sources and understand it so that you can answer this sort of abstract, robust question. And that's, that's sort of how the exams at this university have worked. And it was a fun and kind of sad game where I would go up to the faculty members at these Christmas parties mm-hmm. yeah. with my phone in my hand. And I'd be like, hey, give me one of your exam questions. Yeah. And they would give it to me. And I would type it into chat GPT on my phone. And then I would say, answer this question in the form of a 90s rap song. Yeah. And then I would hand them my phone and say, is this correct? (laughs) And the look on their faces as they saw Dr. Dre's answer to their (laughs) test question was amazing. Yeah. And it was like, to me, it was, it was, it was earth shattering, right? Because like, you know, it's one thing to go to Google and do a Google search and they're like, here's 10 different articles that kind of answer your question yep. or that give you some guidance. It's something different to go to an online platform, ask it a question and have it specifically synthesize the information and give you the best answer it can. And then to be able to ask follow up questions and it remembers the first question and yeah. draws from that. And that's absolutely game breaking to me. And so I, I am looking at that and I have found a bajillion uses yeah. for this thing. My my brother is a lawyer yeah. and he does a state uh, a state planning. He also does business uh business law. Yeah. And he was on there and he said, you know, I have this basic information. Write me a, a simple will and um and yeah. let it go. And he's like, it's solid. And then um, it was a re- it was a release, uh, a release contract basically saying, hey, you know, you release me from all liability of these things like a waiver. Yeah. And he was like, it's a solid first draft. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not perfect, but um, it's getting it's getting better. You know, yeah. the more people play with it, the better it gets. And so I. I agree with you. I don't think we've remotely scratched the surface. I mean, it's. I think. I think that there's more to it than writing biology test answers in the form of a '90s rap song. <laughs> but I'm not sure. But I think. I think there's more to it than that. So I wanted to have you on today because you are a veterinarian. You have been in in this space for a long time. Uh, you and I have worked together many times. You yeah. are a super innovative, creative guy. I really, I think the world of you, and I, I I'm always interested to hear what you think because you 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 think about things in really interesting ways. But I wanted to dig into uh, with you of what does artificial intelligence mean for in the in the trenches veterinary professionals? And in the timeline I'm looking at is like the next five years. Yeah, not like. 10, 20 years from now, but in the next five years, yeah. what kind of impacts are we going to see? So let me just open it up at a high level to you and just sort of say, all right, thinking in the clinic, where does your mind go first? As you look at the AI that's available right now, <laughs> how does that start to impact us? Yeah. So so I think it's important to kind of uh, take a, a step back and look at 
like why is it even the examples that you were sharing like such a almost like watershed moment for those interactions because there's been a lot of kind of building blocks that have gotten it to this point but i think for for most part for the most part there's there's kind of two or three things that really jumped out for for most people about chat uh gpt3 uh myself included so the first was that you know most people's experience with these sorts of tools have been kind of very, very narrow, right? So there's an application that has a very specific purpose. You can't just ask it any question about anything. You sort of run up against edges and it's really designed for a very specific purpose, right? So an AI that can play chess or an AI can, that can play this game. But I think that there's kind of two components that made this really interesting for people. One was that it seemed to know a lot of stuff about everything and could answer uh, almost infinitely complicated or diverse queries. Uh, and the second was the the interface about how you ask those questions. So you didn't need a special piece of software. You didn't need to know how these models work. You literally just started asking questions. And then to your point, that information was retained and could be built upon in subsequent um, conversations. You could ask it for the ability to summarize or expand on a response or, or write a response in a more professional or comedic tone. And so as a result, you've seen this product grow to be one of the fastest growing products in, in, in kind of history. And and when I mean it's kind of just scratching the surface, I mean the the kind of the underlying um, architecture that allows ChatGPT three to to have those responses. Well, that architecture is now being put in those learning models are now being put into a variety of applications. So I think. When we bring it back to the vet practice, there's a couple of kind of important things that people need to kind of wrap their heads around as we kind of explore different use cases. The first thing is, I think a lot of people out of the gate kind of look at it from the perspective of, is this going to replace me or replace this task? And in particular, people get naturally kind of defensive about that, right? Oh, I, it's not going to do a surgery. It's not going to do these things. But I think that's the wrong yeah. wrong way to look at it. Instead, if you really look at it as almost the, your ability to like kind of augment yourself, right? Where it's not you know, making the diagnosis, designing the treatment plan, communicating to the client, but instead empowering you as the practitioner or the technician or the practice manager to do parts of your job 10 times faster or 100 times faster, it really opens up this ability where as opposed to it's, you know, competing against you, it's kind of augmenting your ability to move forward. And I think in particular, there are tasks in veterinary medicine that are really complicated and very narrow in terms of like the expertise and complexity. But there's a whole lot of other tasks that people are doing on a day-to-day -day basis that this could easily today make so much better. So I think one of the, the best ways to do this is to kind of go uh, through a bit of an example, right? So let's start, let's start with the receptionist. What's what's up? three or four things a receptionist would do in, in their day-to-day -day life. Yeah, sure. So schedule, scheduling an appointment, yeah. uh, taking a phone call about refilling food or medication. Awesome. And um, answering a basic, um, is this an emergency or not question? Yeah, exactly. Okay, perfect. So let's talk about like first those kind of like incoming calls and emails, which I would, I would imagine um, occupy a, a lot of time. Um, one of the really interesting things about chat GPT-3 is that you can do something like um, give it a prompt, like for example, imagine I'm a veterinary receptionist, or you, imagine you are a veterinary receptionist, so giving it that yep. context of the situation. And I have a client that is uh, frustrated about a recent bill or complaining about the wait time to see a veterinarian or upset that they can't see that specific veterinarian. Um, draft a response to that to that client. Right. So again, that kind of first wave, that first response, which in some ways is going to be 
a lot quicker for them to write it, but also oh, yeah. kind of take you out of the, the the frustration and the emotional kind of tension of being like, well, this client just keeps emailing me and keeps frustrating yeah. me. But the ability to then say, okay, how could I, for example, use this to draft a first line for every single email that comes in, right? How could I, for example, feed it my uh, clinic values and mission statement or our terms of service or an SOP and use that information in the response that it gives. How could I take, for example, a situation where a client has complained about our process for um, communicating estimates and that led to them being frustrated at a recent charge and take that as a memo to our team that we're going to post internally or post to our wiki to be able to do this. So the ability to, you know, design a prompt, which is basically that question, but as opposed to just like drafting an email to a client saying, as a veterinary technician, this client has been waiting for three weeks to see our veterinarian. They are frustrated. Respond in an encouraging but um, neutral tone, being able to give it more direction. And then if you get a response that you don't necessarily agree with, be able to to teach it uh, what is the response that you're looking for. So it's not just a kind of one-off shop. So that's just kind of an example of a couple of the key ca- components that come up there, the ability to expand or summarize information, change the way that it's presented and link it with new data sources or new information that you're providing it to it as part of that discussion. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Hey guys, I just want to hop in really quick and give a quick plug. The Uncharted Veterinary Conference is coming in April. Guys, I founded the Uncharted Veterinary Conference in 2017. It is a a one-of-a-kind conference. It is all about business. It is about internal communications, working effectively inside your practice. If you're a leader, that means you can be a medical director. It means you can be an associate vet who really wants to work well with your technicians. It means you can be a head technician, a head CSR. You can be practice owner, practice manager, multi-site manager, multi-site medical director. We work with a lot of those people. This is all about building systems, setting expectations to work effectively with your people. Guys, Uncharted is a peer mentorship conference. That means that we come together and there is a lot of discussion. We create a significant percentage of the uh, schedule, the agenda at the event, which means we're going to talk about the things that you are interested in. Uh, It is, as I said, business communication focused, but uh, lots of freedom inside that to make sure that you get to talk about what you want to talk about. We really prioritize people being able to have one-on-one conversations, to pick people's brains, to get advice from people who have wrestled with the problems that they are currently wrestled with. We make all that stuff happen. If you want to come to a conference where you do not sit and get lectured at, but you work on your own practice, your own challenges, your own growth and development. That's what Uncharted is. Take a chance. Give us uh, give us a look. Come and check it out. It is in April. I'll put a link in the show notes for registration. Um, ask anybody who's been. It's something special. All right, let's get back into this episode. I think there's going to be two categories of veterinarians in the yeah. next five years. Yeah. I think there's veterinarians that are going to try to stick their head in the sand. And be like, I don't want anything to do with this. Yes. I don't like it. I don't want to know about it. And there's going to be veterinarians who are going to not be threatened by it, but say, okay, this is a new super powerful tool that I am going to wield for maximum effect. And I think that if you try to put your head in the sand, I think you're going to be extremely frustrated because... This is out in the world and pet owners know it. Yeah. And you I think we're going to see a different type of educated pet owner. I mean, that is dialed in in a way they've never been before. Like yeah. when I start thinking about this and start, I, it's funny, you went right to the internal systems, which I really love, yeah. you know, and I think that there's a lot to that and we can come back. I have a hundred percent 
uh, told ChatGPT to write sections of the employee handbook. Yeah. And just been like, write a dress code for a veterinary practice, you know, and just again, yeah. for, it's, it generally turns out first drafts, but it's, it's solid and you go, yeah. okay. Um, especially if you're doing things like, um, uh, help me write a job ad. It will, it will, it will come back with best practices and be like, okay, this is kind of how we set it up. We want to make sure we talk about these things. And again, it's, it's the downside is it's kind of generic unless you give it the ability to not be generic. Yeah. But if you're looking for something that's just solid technical work, um, it's, it's, it's really amazing, but I put it into the hands of pet owners. And yeah. so here's where I think that whether you like it or not, this is where you're going to deal with it. So I think that we are headed towards the age of a, a new type of educated pet owner, yeah. which means the, the pet owner coming in and saying, I Googled all kinds of things about my pet's cancer. I, I think those days, depending on how, on how AI proliferates, but you know, you've got, you've got Microsoft and Bing, their search engine, and they're integrating yeah. AI directly into their search engine. I, I think the days of them coming in, I think this could be a good thing. I think hopefully we're less likely to see pet owners that have gone down these wild rabbit holes yeah. of, you know, they found, they found some obscure article somewhere and kind of grabbed onto it. I'm hoping we'll see less of that because we'll, they'll get some better guidance. But you're going to see people coming in who said, I told ChatGPT the age of my pet, the breed of my pet. I fed in the prior medical history. I fed in the blood work results that you yeah. gave to me last time I was here. And I asked these questions about these behaviors. And it thinks that this might be the reason <laughs> or that these three things. And honestly, if they actually fed all that stuff in, they're probably not going to be wildly mistaken. Now, yeah. there's a chance that yeah. GPT can 100% be wrong. And the problem is when it's wrong, it's very confident. <laughs> it will confidently say, this is what's wrong with your dog. And it's wrong, but it does not, it does not hedge its bets. It tells you this is what, this is what it probably is. Um, I think we'll deal with that. Yeah. My hope is that we will have a more educated group of pet owners, but at least they'll be educated in a more... I don't know, based in reality way yes. than people who are just, when we say educated, what we really mean is fanatical about searching the deep, dark corners of the internet to find obscure things. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. So I, I think that there's a couple of important points to un, un, unpack there. So one of the ones that you raised was, you know, what is, I think, a little bit implied in this is like what is what is the role of the veterinarian and what can kind of the human in that relationship bring when when the answer might be somebody something that people can arrive uh at on themselves uh, in some cases even more accurately and i think that's where these kind of like trusted relationships become really the bedrock of of quite a lot of of, of this moving forward because you think about the types of interactions that you have in your own life where even if I have the answer, I want to talk about that answer with somebody. It could be, um, you know, everything from like, I'm learning to be a, a golfer and I've watched all these videos and I know how to do this golf swing, but I trust my coach or I'm buying a, I'm buying a house and, and I can look at all these prices and I can do all the comparables, but my real estate agent who's walked a mile in those shoes, maybe they have a perspective and a trust that they can bring to the table. I think, you know, as veterinarians, we already have a bit of a leg up on a lot of those professions because I think at the end of the day, there is this kind of trusted relationship that a lot of veterinarians build between their patients and the client. So even if the client has the right answer, 
there are so many other aspects to how do I arrive at the best way to manage this for my 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 pet? How do I deal with kind of maybe the emotional journey of a pet that's going through con- things that you know just spitting out an yeah. answer are not going to be nearly as sufficient for the need that the, the the client has. And I think that's where veterinarians have a, a time to shine. I think we've already seen this where there's been a generation of practitioners that has already kind of practicing grown up in a world in which everybody has access to Google. And to your point, Andy, even if it's not accurate, the idea that pet owners are coming with more information, there's veterinarians who either kind of lean into that and and veterinarians, I think that we kind of lean back. And by leaning in, I mean kind of embracing the fact that clients are doing their own research, being able to drive Mm -hmm. them towards reputable sources, being able to start the conversation of maybe a higher level of understanding and being able to be maybe more productive or efficient in that time where they don't kind of shame those clients for being curious and proactive in their pet's care, but rather work with them because of the momentum that they've been able to create. So that's kind of one part. I think the, the, the other kind of two things just briefly is chat gpt3 this kind of interface is just we're kind of in the still the early innings of this and what i mean by that is it's not going to be a pet owner kind of going into a search box asking all that medical history for for example these capabilities are just going to be embedded in all the places like you were mentioning bing that people are already going to so companies like mm. notion that a lot of veterinarians use for their own note taking yeah they, ha- they have I that already notion. they have that they have all the ai already embedded now that allows you to automatically draft summarize tweak content intercom for customer support a lot of those kind of widget chat box um things on on websites that ha- already has it in so it's it's kind of the brain behind it, which is going to be embedded in any kind of a digital tool, and then bringing in the unique kind of corpus or information to complement, let's just say, the the more generalized information that ChatGPT has access to. So, as an example, when you're looking at that medical record, you don't want just any pet's medical record. You want your your own pet's information, your own pet's history, and so it's it's the idea that even if you are quote unquote a luddite, these things are just going to keep kind of popping up and. And you're going to have to either kind of embrace or frankly, probably get steamrolled by people and and teammates that are using these capabilities to practice medicine at a higher level. And maybe an interesting thought exercise that I think gets really interesting as a profession is at some point, the technology becomes so good and so uh, pervasive that ignoring it is seen as almost like a derelict of your duty. So I'll give you an example. Um, when When the stethoscope came out, everybody thought, you know, there was a lot of people who thought that that was not going to be important. It was, it was reckless, etc. At some point, it became the standard of care to the point now that if you go in mm-hmm. for a physical exam and you don't use a stethoscope, that's malpractice, effectively, right? That would be yeah. something. So, at some point, your personal desires or attitudes towards these technologies get overpowered by this is now just the new yeah. standard of care and. And, and I think what's happening is the technologies are growing so much more quickly. And so the time between this is crazy and I never want to touch it to I am almost obligated to use it because otherwise I'm going to be um, not practicing to the level that I'm expected to. That time frame goes from like years, decades to, to years. And, and maybe in some cases in the future, you know, 12, 18, 24 months because of the speed at which the, the technology is coming out. So just kind of a few thoughts there, but I agree with you. Like that, that's a, that's a reckoning, I think, point for the profession when people are coming in with the answers. I, I okay. So you kind of blew my mind here for a second. Cause you, cause you're right. How long is it until you miss the case of atypical Addison's yep. and someone says to you, did you run it through the AI? 
and you say no yeah and they're like oh you probably should have done that yeah you know like how long is it because you're right i had not i had not thought about i it had not it is definitely not lost on me yeah that the ability you know so we go to vet school and there's and they train us to to synthesize information like that's what we do and um you cannot get given a case that says, all right, this is how the pet presents. This is what the, the blood work looks like. This is what the white cell count is. This is what we found when we tapped the abdomen, what's going on. Yeah. Like you can't Google that. You, yeah. You're going to have to take that information and synthesize it. But that type of synthesis is exactly what artificial intelligence is made for, is feed these things in. And it's like, oh, putting all these things together, this is, this is what the most likely outcomes are. Yeah. And so I had definitely thought like, oh man, it's only a matter of time until we have the ability to start checking ourselves, you know, against, uh, against some AI sort of, sort yeah. of backdrop and say, you know, is this reasonable? What do you think? But I had not thought about the boneheaded mistakes that you make. And someone says, why didn't you check this against the AI? And you go, oh, <laughs> yeah, if I had, it probably would have at least listed this as a differential. You know, how long is it until in vet school when, you know, I used to sit and I yeah. used to too, sit with this stupid list of 10 differentials and you're like, yeah. there's three differentials. There's not 10. And they're like, no, there's yeah. 10. And I, I, boy, I'd bang that into chat GPT on my phone today yeah. in a heartbeat and be like, help me out here. Yeah. Um, it, or, but that, but or, that's what's coming. Or new medical information that's being created because at the same time, it's 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 kind of the rules of the game are evolving as new therapies and diagnostics get created. And we already know that the amount of med medical literature is, is reaching a point where it's just impossible for your average practitioner like to, to, to keep up, right? We have these big conferences and we have ways, but to, to, to try to pass that information along. But what you really want is, is when you're treating a case or looking at a patient or having a discussion with an owner that you're working with the best available information. And it's just not humanly possible to both synthesize, be exposed to all the new information that's being created and synthesizing it in a way that is, is impactful for that client or patient. And so you're going to reach a point, I think very, really quickly where it goes from maybe a novelty or the, Hey, there's a weird team member who's like, doing all their job in this and that seems kind of weird but i'm just going to ignore it too well this is just the way that you have to you have to lean into using these tools because otherwise you're not practicing at the best of your ability and i think at some point in the not too distant future that is going to be reinforced in the hospital systems as as well where if you're making a decision that is kind of in um in opposition to the recommendations of an, of an algorithm, there has to be some sort of justification for it or yeah. some sort of context. Um, and I think that's going to be really important, but then it comes back to, you know, what are the skills that are, um, needed in a world like that? Right. And I think that relationship, the ability to, to, to build those bonds, the ability to communicate and, and manage the expectations with the client and patient. There are just so many other jobs and they get kind of freed up or even yeah. amplified in terms of their importance when some of the other pieces aren't necessarily um, as critical for a human to do. Oh, I, th I think you're absolutely right. Like, I, I don't think, I, I think this is good for veterinarians. Yeah. I think we're going to, I think it's going to shift our job around. But yeah. to your point, I think relationship building becomes more important than ever before. Yeah. You know, because it's, there's so much information that pet owners have access to and they still need someone to know what questions to ask and yeah. how to ask them to, to be the voice of common sense yeah. and to personalize things. I, I so I, asked, I, I mentioned my brother earlier, who's a yeah. lawyer and we were looking at chat GPT and stuff. And, you know, I said, are you concerned about people just getting 
estate plans, wills and trusts, you know, from AI. And he said, he said, no, he said, my job, there's two parts of my job. One is to listen to everything this person has going on and make sure that the important parts get pulled out and communicated because knowing what's important is that's that's part of my skill again that someone putting it into ai they don't have that they don't know what's important they don't know oh i should have mentioned that i was divorced and have children from another marriage like yeah they just they didn't know that they should say that 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 had ramifications but it does and then he said the other part was it was funny he said the other part was there's great power for him as a lawyer to be the person who uh has clear eyes and is totally uninvolved yeah like i don't I'm not, I'm not trying to make something happen, you know? And he's like, I am happy to be the jerk who asks you the really hard questions you don't want to have asked because that's my job, you know? And uh, you don't get that when you do it yourself. And so I think that that, I think that those, those things transfer over to vet medicine and say, oh, we, we are still going to have our job as a relationship builder, a persuader, someone who advocates for what path to take as an explainer, as a communicator and things like that. I think we're going to have all those jobs. Um, I, I still think that there's a lot, I think there's a lot of other things that, um, I think there's a lot of other ways that our, that our job will change. I'm, I'm really interested in how AI interfaces with technicians. Yeah. And so we have technicians that are doing more wellness work and things like that. Yeah. Can we have a technician with AI support that's able to do even, even more things? I know people have mixed reactions to that. I, I, I'm not saying good or bad, yeah. but you know, we, I had, um, I had Dr. Katie Cutter on the podcast a couple yes. of weeks back and we were talking about, uh, she's got a company called Booster Pet in Washington yeah. Yeah. and they have, um, they have technicians in wellness practices and the vets do basically remote visits to mm-hmm. where the technician is with the pet owner and the pet. Yeah. And I go, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. How different is that from a technician with a good AI program? Yes. I don't know. Um, it's just kind of yeah. a, it's kind of an interesting step in that direction, and yeah. I don't see that in the next five years. But the ability to to do things like that that's that's not that's not magical anymore. Like that that's yes. not too far outside the realm of possibility. And, and to your point, like about these kind of practice setups, I do think like the environment and the model ends up allowing certain practices to have a competitive edge with respect to implementing these pieces of technology. So, you know, like really simple things where if you have a practice, um, for example, that has computers that everybody takes 20 minutes to boot up and they can't use their cell phones and they can't, you know, easily like kind of access these tools, or for example, they don't have a software budget. So a a receptionist, if they want to add a piece of software to their toolkit has like four levels of approval, the ability to have your staff members like easily tap into these tools and work with them. You've just added so many points of friction that really just prevent your team from being successful. And so I think what's going to happen is that practices that kind of lean into like, look, Let's let's figure out what are the parts of your job that we can add some of these capabilities to either augment, help, you know, pair you with people to have more confidence and comfort level working with them and kind of get some quick wins. So as an example, you're a technician going in, what's the case that you're most worried about communicating? Let's actually show you, you know, what are some tips or questions or approaches to communicating bad news to a pet owner? And you can kind of see how these capabilities can act as a bit of a co-pilot for you. That's just gonna start to to get the momentum going where they start turning their attention towards using it for, for more cases. And myself, like 
I use it two to three times a day for, for a variety of things. Like sometimes it's summarizing big pieces of information and to like explain like I'm five sort of thing. Sometimes it's drafting outlines or just like, hey, you know, how should I think about this situation? But it just ends up being this kind of colleague in, in a lot of ways that um, will just become more, uh, uh, you know, more personalized and useful over time. But if you're a practice that you've kind of set up this approach and rigidity that basically prevents or, or certainly disincentivizes your team from even exploring these things, you're just going to be constantly left in, 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 in the dark. Like as an example, you'll have two practices and one spinning out, you know, a blog post a day, multiple social posts, their response times on emails are better. And, and you're like, well, do they have a hundred staff? And it's like, no, they have two people. Plus they all have access to these tools versus your team that the owner of the practice manager yeah. was just so against using them that they they kind of missed out on an opportunity. So I think that kind of gets back to your point of just kind of exposing yourself to them is such a, a kind of an important first step because I think a lot of people are having these kind of like moments of, of delight or kind of wow moments from a variety of different perspectives, um, like the one that you had with uh, at, at the Christmas parties there. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I look at the grocery store and... Uh, and I go to a grocery store that has a huge self-checkout section now. Yeah. It used to have all, you know, all cashiers and baggers. And now they've replaced a big chunk of those with self-checkout. And yeah. they generally have one human being checker, uh, yeah. like teller, checker outer. Uh, badger. Um, and, and then, and then they have one person standing over the dozen self-checkouts that they have open. Yeah. And, Adam, I think that that's where a lot of customer service is going to go across industries. Yeah. Anytime that somebody can get you to use a, an online chat to communicate, yeah. I think you're going to be talking to an AI very, very soon. Yeah. Whether you're booking an appointment or uh, asking questions about a product or, or troubleshooting the new technology purchase that you made, I, I think that, that we're going to get funneled more and more to chatbots. Yeah. And, and, that, and honestly how how many times do we reach out and it's a fairly basic question and they're like yeah. oh just do this I, I i do think that you're going to see more and more of that so anything that we can get people to send by email or to use as a chat i think that they're going to be talking to AI. and again i'm not celebrating this i just i think that it's where things are kind of going yeah and i'm just at least i'm choosing to look at it through a positive lens because of labor shortage and difficulty getting help and things like that but yeah. I, I think that you're right about um part about getting creative about how you can do these things i i think that that's really the most interesting thing is figuring out so you mentioned notion earlier yeah and it's it's a note taking app i love it yeah. that's on yeah. my phone it's on my laptop it's on I, I use it all the time yeah and they added ai into notion and so i'll yeah. have a page of notion of notes so like I, i'll go to a vet conference and i'll take notes on my tablet or, or type them up in my laptop or whatever yeah. and then i can just hit the ai button and then say, write this as an email to Adam Little. Yeah. And it will take my notes from the lecture, turn them into an email, and then send them to Adam. And like, yeah. you'll get an email where these things are laid out, at, you know, as a, as a, as a, you know, clear, yeah. you know, summary of what I saw. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and, and like you start to realize too, how quickly these capabilities have been integrated in some of these tools. So for example, there's already email clients now that you can set it up so that the first, but when an email comes in, it automatically drafts the response. And so when you actually log into your email client, you start to look and say, oh, I'm just editing or refining these responses or these drafts for these types of queries. 
Um, another example is all the images work, right? The ability to say, you know, describe a, a picture of a cat in a, in a hat that's at my clinic and the AI's ability to generate unique images that you can you can post. So you no longer need kind of a graphic. So again, it's 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 the convergence of so many different types of capabilities for different sorts of interfaces. And maybe just to kind of show you an example of something that is not five or 10 years, but I think something that can happen quite soon. There's already companies now that you can upload a voice sample and it will basically create a virtual assistant with your own voice. Now, oh, what gosh. you could do is that you could you could feed you could feed in your past medical notes and you could basically have a conversation about past cases with yourself. And so if you're like, I don't trust the AI to give me, well, what if the AI sounded exactly like you and was using all the information that you had captured in your medical record to help you work through a case, right? And so that's just like an example, but the ways that people experience and access these tools are combining in ways that like are really difficult for us to even kind of wrap our heads around. But like that sort of experience is not that far away. And so you, so, so that's, that's where you're kind of like, wow, these are kind of expert level modes uh, that we can work on, but you think of yourself as a, the practitioner in that case. If if you, I think it comes down to in, in, in a lot of cases like this, the sense of identity. Like, what does it mean to be a veterinarian? And when I feel mm-hmm. that these capabilities are kind of displacing that or taking that away, or in some way threatening to me, it, it kind of it impacts veterinarians. I think at a much more a much deeper level than we really uh, anticipate. So that's why I think it's important to create like an optimistic, constructive conversation where, hey, instead of looking at what it's taking away, how can it allow you to practice at a 10x or a 100x level than you ever have before, right? Um, and, and I think that's where as a profession, we have to really come back to what is the reason that most people got into this? The reason that most people got into this is to help save animals. And if you can go through your career and this generation is capable of saving five, 10, a hundred X more animals and impacting that many more cases as a result of these capabilities, that is where we need to go. And I think by having people use these tools and have a voice in them, you cannot just help shape what they become, but you can literally build them yourselves. You can start to create capabilities and systems that make a difference for you as a veterinarian. So I do think that it's important for those of us who are on kind of more of the the cutting edge around some of these tools to create opportunities to make them approachable, to make them fun, to make them something that's accessible for people to can try because otherwise they will be left behind and they won't be able to lean into those advantages um, in in the way that I think we really need to. Oh man. Adam, thanks so much for being here. Where can people find you online? Where can they they keep up with your musings, writings, thoughts? Yeah. So uh, on Twitter at Exponential Vet um, and uh, at the Uncharted Conference. Um, and uh, yeah, feel free to shoot me an email at any time at adam at go, gofetch.ca. In particular, if you're a veterinarian that's kind of building something, I'm a really big fan of always talking to people that are kind of getting their hands dirty and trying to create the future um, that they want veterinarians to practice in. So happy to have those discussions as well. Awesome. Guys, thanks so much for being here, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Take care. Thanks, Andy. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, feel free. Head over Google Chat GPT if you want to go mess around with it, uh, and, and it's free to to, to sign up. Um, it's it's fascinating just to to kick around and ask questions of AI and see what it knows and see what it doesn't know and see what it can figure out. So anyway, guys, I hope you took this as a uh, as a fun and interesting uh, and and bright episode uh, as opposed to a doom and gloom uh, Terminator um, uh, end of the world computers are taking over episode. 
Uh, I don't I don't think that's where we're going. I do think that our job as veterinarians is going to change significantly in the next five years. I think the real question for what differentiates great veterinarians in the future is do you understand, you don't have to be a coder or anything like that, do you understand what artificial intelligence can do and do you understand how to take burdens off of yourself and let the computer do that work so that you can do the things that only a human being can do. And that's build a relationship, that's understand context, that's empathize, it's connect emotionally. So anyway, guys, that's what I got for you. Take care of yourselves, be well. I'll talk to you later on.